Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name's Alexi. And my name's Sam. Joining us today are Luca Simarusti of Heavy Bands, Annihilus, and Luggage, and Mike Gable, formerly the talent buyer for The Empty Bottle. In our conversation, we touch on coming of age in Chicagoland and the importance of independent and DIY venues in the city and suburbs from the perspectives of a talent buyer and a musician. Luca gives us the scoop on Nihilus, his black metal solo project, and the convergence of heavy metal and comics. We're premiering a track from Nihilus' upcoming release, Ganema, out September 25th on a new record label called American Decline. We also discussed lineup and billing curation, lifting the veil on how Scorched Tundra first came to the U.S. in 2016. While an hour of conversation was lost on account of the technical difficulties, we invite you to dive and get heavy with us. Is that uh, is that plugged what? in all the way? Can we just uh, is that? <laughs> let's make sure that's plugged in. Because no, I'll unplug it. No, no, it's working. Yeah, Alexa. Yeah, you don't have to. Cool. Sorry, guys. It's all right. It's like all right. Okay, here we go. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I think it's hilarious, but okay, <laughs> but my life is in shambles. So. <laughs> this is just another day right, for me. We're good. Oh, oh shit. shit! I'm not even hearing myself. Oh, that's good. That's oh. a good start. Here, here we go. go. Cool. Well, here we are. Uh, welcome, so, well, welcome to Heavy Hops. Welcome. We're good hour in, and you're just now joining us. <laughs> Everybody forgot to hit record. So, yes. Fucking bastards. So there's an hour that you're never going to hear. And uh, that's you know fine. What? That's fine. That's okay. That's one for, it's for us and no one else. We're going to pick up where we left off and we're going to do a best of from before. <laughs> and a best of of the future. Yeah. That, to we, be didn't, seen. that we didn't record. <laughs> so joining us today on Heavy Hops is Luca Simarusti of I said that right did I yes you did see yeah. I didn't want to say it because yeah. I, I knew I would fuck it up yeah that's funny because you have an Italian last name too yeah that's true yeah how do you pronounce yours Cangelosi that's more now, complicated than mine maybe yeah but yeah. you would not believe how many people yeah. really butcher it like yeah. really they add yeah. a ski and I'm like, oh where, I get where, that all the time where, yeah like okay but where do you get that like it's, it's a Chicago thing, but there's no K like people look at it and they're like Kandalowski and it's like <laughs> my entire life, fuck? man, my entire no. life. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. also with us with a uh, far less uh, difficult <laughs> name to butcher Mike Gable. Yet you butchered it. It's Gable. Gable. Dude. Mike Gable. Yeah. You know what? We could just push record and yeah. like start over right now. Mike Gable, formerly of The Empty Bottle. Um, we all know each other via the music world uh, in some way, shape, or form. And it's exciting to have these folks uh, in the room. Where we left off... <laughs> was Luca was telling us about uh, his first time donning co uh, corpse paint. Yes, yeah. Uh, so I've done it three times for this project. And the first time, like I was saying, was I want to do like a quick, like homemade press photo. So I was, I put it on and then I was in my dark stairway of my apartment. I had my girlfriend taking a photo of me 
on like an iPhone. I was like holding a candle like in the stairway. And, and after it was all done, I'm like, we were both kind of like looking at you like, that, that was kind of weird, right? <laughs> just, <laughs> grown man just in, in his full home, makeup in his, in his, his home, home. <laughs> <laughs> wearing like a leather jacket, like in my hallway by Going myself. upstairs to his cats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I, it took me like, then figuring out how to like remove corpse fade, especially when you have a beard is like a very interesting task too. I'm like in the shower for like an hour, like trying different things to remove it from my face. Um, but with that said, it is kind of fun to wear corpse paint. It's kind of a good time. I get Just it. Just like it's fun to wear a, a mask. I guess. It's kind of I, terrifying and sad to wear a mask, to be honest. Hard to breathe. Uh, hard to, yeah, you just can't, you can't convey the emotion. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the pure rage <laughs> that you feel as a black metal artist. How do you convey that in a mask? Yeah, right. With just covering half your face. It just doesn't work. That the was same. more just to encourage any listeners who aren't yeah. wearing oh, yeah. masks. Yeah. Wear to your make mask. sure they wear masks. In wear, oh, yeah. Oh. Everyone should wear a mask. I just, when I wear it, I usually feel like, like the world is collapsing around me because I, our terrifying reality. <laughs> so, uh, I think we should listen to some Annihilus, actually. Yeah, let's T- do it. Yeah, so, uh, you have your first solo record coming out. Yeah, and I think we figured out it comes out the t- day tomorrow. Yeah, tom- tomorrow. tomorrow. Yes, it yeah, does come yeah. out tomorrow. Or yeah. it's already out, depending on when you're listening <laughs> yeah, to this. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, maybe it's been out for a little bit. For those of you eager to listen, it comes out tomorrow. Yeah. So you'll get a first yeah, little snippet. Yeah. First and record out tomorrow. Uh, and this is a tune off of it called A Moon Falls.
Sick. Sick yeah. song. Thanks, guys. Whoa. Sick. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Dude, uh, talk to us a little about When the Moon Falls. Uh, that is a, like, uh, so as I said before, uh, that we no longer have the recording of, uh, <laughs> mo- most of the subject matter on this record is taken from science fiction and comic books because uh, I find it, I've found it easier in the songwriting process to kind of express myself via things that are big and epic and sweeping and emotionally heavy that are come from things like that since I've spent so much of my time of my life with my like face in Marvel pages and science fiction fiction pages so that song is uh, it's a reference to Dune Messiah the second Dune novel uh, it's about a vision that Duncan Idaho the Duncan Idaho Gola has about the uh, end of the world which is metaphor for the end of his I shouldn't spoil it. Never mind. Yeah, no spoilers, please. <laughs> no spoilers. I'm really they have, for they the have. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for the movie, and or read the comic. Yeah, well, yeah, well, the, the the novel. The novels, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, but yeah, that's what the 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 lyrics are sort of taken from quotes of his and uh, his explanation of the vision he's having. Sweet. Pretty heavy. Pretty gnarly. Yeah. So, like, where did you wind up coming to this idea with? writing about Marvel characters over the traditional black metal lyrical choice? Uh, well, the big thing is, uh, you know, a lot of black metals based in things that are like scary and evil, but a lot of them are fine evilness in like Satan, but I don't believe in Satan. <laughs> uh, so I found it easy to express that via other fictional things that I've invested a lot of time and thought into and in comic books and horror and, science fiction kind of are there for me is that as far as that goes so that's why pretty much all the inf- influence on the project comes from that other other fictional tales yes so other fictional kind of tales. Your, your your inspiration yes 100 yeah. percent. still in the genre of fiction <laughs> still, still fiction <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and actually uh this this record doesn't have it but the small handful of tapes i've put out before there's always a song on there about how much i hate hot weather oh yeah this record doesn't have a, a hot weather song though wow. no hot weather take yeah, not not in this yeah. one. <laughs> the, the, the other ones have songs about how how I want the ice age to come back and I want the sun to burn out because I just hate heat so much. <laughs> well, that's traditional black that metal, is, right? Yeah, there. that is. Yeah, that, the, the, the frosty <laughs> the frosty world is traditional. <laughs> There's just no you know Satanism or nationalism or anything creepy like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, keep 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 that away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep all ideologies yeah. far away. Yeah. yeah, it's like, do you like Wolverine? Cool, you'll like this record. <laughs> as far as uh, your kind of introduction to the comic world and into the black metal world, breaking breaking this project down a little bit to some of its components, like where did uh, the world of metal reach you? Uh, so metal came to me, I was, I think my first real introduction to like actual heavy music, like not saying that Metallica and Slayer aren't that those were bands I liked when I was younger, but those were like very easily accessible, you know, like any kid could buy the black album. That being said, the black album is sick. I love Metallica. Um, but like my, first, <laughs> my, my first, uh, introduction to like weird, weird metal was, uh, like Hydrahead record shit. Like I remember seeing Caven in high school and having that like blow my mind and like introduced me to like Prague and metal and the like one fell swoop. And that kind of like led into 
Isis and Yezu, and then the, that leads to Godflesh, and that leads into Boris, and that leads into the Melvins, and I hate God, and like so much, so many weird, like heady, sludgy things. But at that same time, uh, Zaster had signed to Hydrahead, and that was like 2005, I think. And Zaster opened my eyes to black metal, and uh, still, I think my favorite black metal artist ever is Zaster. So that's kind of where that where my fascination came from. And uh, where did the comic books uh, tie in? That was that an interest from before? Yeah, uh, as a kid of the 90s, uh, I was around for the X-Men cartoon on Fox and the X-Men arcade game, which blew my little mind. And uh, it's just been obsession ever since then, you know, and I still to this day, you know, opening night for all the MCU movies and, you know, still read comics like a, a young boy yeah. would. And a, ni- a nihilist, the character. Can you explain that? Oh, yeah. We lost that part of the recording. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it, as, <laughs> as we as kept it, others, <laughs> so we lost that one. Yeah. As we were saying, like, uh, with so much, you know, black metal being focused on Satan, a nihilist is a character that I think does a really good job of representing, like, like very deep evil uh, in, like, a way that is easier for me to relate to. Annihilus is uh, one of the arch enemies of uh, the Fantastic Four invented by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee and just uh, a weird green insect alien from the negative zone who just wants to end all humanity. And it's kind of evil what's, and fun. What's the negative zone? The negative zone is a... Uh, <laughs> it just becomes <laughs> a comic. What is podcast? In the world of these comics, I know what the negative zone is in my life. I didn't know. I still don't know after our last conversation, so this is a great reiteration. Well, we're me. in the negative zone right now because we just lost an hour yeah. over short. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the negative zone is a like an alternate dimension uh, accessed by, by Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. Uh, trying to, you know, he's always getting himself into trouble trying to access different areas of space. Ain't and, he, though? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he goes to the negative zone through some portal, and then he meets Annihilus, who just wants to destroy everything. Cool. Yeah. So you talked about a Marvel game. Uh, what, what what was the game that you used to play? I love how this is becoming an interview about our interview. <laughs> well, but, but like, no, 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 because like, okay, where I was going to go, dude. Uh, we can go so, where we didn't go before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going thing. to New Bounds. We're there was this Spider-Man game. in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this, <laughs> this Spider-Man game for the Sega Genesis. Okay, I was a, I was a Super Nintendo kid. So. Oh, man. Okay, Shit, I love my Super Nintendo. Okay, but like... Uh, you could play Spider-Man, but you could also it was it was like a side scroller. Oh, and uh, you could play Venom too. And you like was that uh, Maximum Carnage? Yeah, yeah, baby. That was some good <laughs> classic. Shit right yeah, there. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, the one that really got me was the X Men arcade game, which oh, is just like so, so fun, so classic. Yeah. Uh, I went to like a that the the dawn of like barcades. They, were, they actually didn't have a bar in it, but it was like a play everything arcade in. Brookfield Galloping Ghost, I think it's called. Yeah, is it still there? It is still there. Well, well, maybe. Yeah, okay. should be. <laughs> Hopefully, I hope so. <laughs> uh, I remember what going Tough there times for, for our kids. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if Emporium's still ain't open, then yeah. guessing yeah. the ghost ain't. Uh, we went there uh, for a friend's birthday like a decade ago, and everything's on free play. And I seriously, the whole time was just beating the X Men game over and over. Just oh, man. free quarters. You're just Best. like. Because <laughs> the, the superpower uses up, like, if you're them. So I'm just like, you can still, you just hit 
re-up the quarters. You just Wolverine just back and forth across the screen with the clock, <laughs> just like over and over, just it's, beating everything. It's the first arcade game I remember beating start to finish because yeah. I was I, I was in California where my grandparents and my uncle lived. And they, my uncle had like a day with me and my older brother and he took us to an arcade mm-hmm. and just like, like any good uncle just kept feeding, <laughs> yeah, there you go. feeding this game. Feeding and the addiction. It was, just like, yes. it was just me and my brother. I was probably like five or something. My brother was eight and it was just, we just kept playing and yeah. just kept playing and just kept playing. It was it's, amazing. It's also like, it's not super hard, which is nice. And just vi- the visuals of it are fucking awesome. Like it look, it's based on that. The X-Men cartoon pilot was this this one-off called Pride of the X-Men. And, like, it's hilarious now. Like, Wolverine has an Australian accent. Like, <laughs> and, and he had knows that he's Canadian, you know. Uh, but it was based off that. So it's, like, super late 80s, like, X-Men animation. Like, really vivid and bright. It's really fucking cool. Uh, I think you can get out on, like, your iPad now if anyone out there is interested. <laughs> I would always go, when I went to the Ghost the first time, uh... I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. there were those side scroller ones in the yeah. arcade. There were a few ones, mm-hmm. um, but those were the ones those were the ones that I would always play and those were the games I would feed the quarter into until yep. yep. I beat it. And yeah. those two the those Simpsons two games one. and the Simpsons the games. Simpsons Dude, games. That is the move. I still yes. seek those out yeah. when I go to an arcade. <laughs> That's so good. God, I hope yeah. Arcades come back. I went to yeah. like, I went to them like twice a year, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now we're just gonna go back and yeah. force. We're gonna have the, uh, this episode. <laughs> this is the catalyst level three for, of yeah. the Inception <laughs> is us playing. Uh, is us playing those games. Join us now at Emporium Arcade. <laughs> so, uh, Mike, why don't you tell us about uh, something we didn't talk about before? And how did you find uh, heavy music? Um, I mean, as a, as a child, just kind of with an older brother who, who, you know, I was kind of chasing his tastes and he wasn't a super heavy music listener, but, um, you know, I think, I think in the nineties hearing bands, hearing grunge music in the early nineties was, that was, that was my introduction to, to heavy popular music. So Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and Alice in Chains and, and stuff like that from like a really young age. Um, and then eventually that developing into taste more classic rock oriented, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, all that kind of stuff was definitely kind of my entry point. And then <clears throat> I've always been somebody who has listened to a wide, very, very wide range of music. Um, and, you know, some of the heaviest shit that I heard when I was a kid was like Wu-Tang Clan, you know, <laughs> like hearing yeah. that as a nine year old, like that kind of blows your mind just because to me, heavy music is, um, you know, it's it's a lot about it's a lot more about just kind of like the loudness of it. And it's it's so much of it is kind of the subject matter. So much of it is kind of the vibe that you get when you're listening. So much of it is the imagination that it stirs in your in your mind. Um, so those, those kind of influences from a young age, you know, like eight to 10 years old, um, kind of set me off on the path that I was just always listening to something a little bit weirder. And I don't, I don't have as much of like a metal traditional metal background as, as you guys probably do, but, um, it was, it was definitely something that I was always seeking out and, and for sure, like an energy of, um, especially in a live setting, that's that's where I think heavy music really really thrives. 
um, you know, and you know, we can we can talk a little bit about Alexi, yours and my relationship. Um, we we booked Scorch Tundra together. You brought Scorch Tundra over from Sweden to Chicago and to the Empty Bottle, and due to our friendship, which emerged before that, I think for um, probably a year or two um, through Local Option, um, you know, I think that we were able to combine our interests and our tastes in heaviness rather than just heavy music. And we were able, you know, to work together and, and craft this festival that you had started years before. Um, and, and I always really appreciated your openness to introducing um, Chicago and introducing fans to a, a wide swath of music that can all kind of be lumped into something that would be considered quote unquote heavy. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, actually a lot of the, there was a turn in a lot of ways from the tundras that had existed in Sweden to the ones that we did in Chicago and that um, uh, when it happens again in the future that people will see. And I think a lot of that um, was in a lot of ways, and I don't think I've said this before, but a lot of it was a nod to what you were doing at the bottle too, was that, okay, I can't take exactly what I do over there and bring it over here precisely. I want to do something that um, fits this space and fits the sensibilities of kind of what's going on here. Um, but if we can bring some of the artists that have played it over there, I think that was kind of the probably one of the few like congruencies between like what was going on over there and then what was coming on over here. I think that one of the things that um, I learned from watching you do what you do is that there's this whole like spectrum of, I mean, I certainly can't claim that I listen to like a lot of a wide variety of music, but I learned a lot about the local scene, especially from like uh, the support that the Empty Bottle gives. And also uh, precisely what you were kind of tapping into is that there's a wider sense of like what heavy is and that it doesn't necessarily have to mean like slow and down tune to be, you know, like no, it, can, right. it can express itself <clears throat> in like so many different ways. And I think that those like those uh, the tundras in Chicago was really where that kind of became defined. And I think that some of that comes from uh, the space that it began to inhabit was that it took on like its own form. And I think that um, we learned that by working with new people, right. And mm -hmm. by like meeting new people and immersing yourself in a new, uh, in a new environment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, well. I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, I was in my booking years there. Uh, it was a tradition that I was carrying from those who came before me. You know, like the Empty Bottle was known for its jazz series uh, in the early 2000s. You know, it's a place that has welcomed every genre that basically exists. I mean, there was a classical series when I first started list started working there. You know, like it's and and there was also a metal festival and there was a garage rock festival and there. You know, it's it's spaces like that and especially spaces that host music 360 nights out of the year you have to have a wide interest um, and you have to be able to as the programming person you have to be able to see the value in the different forms of music even if you don't 
listen to all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, like you introduced me to more, um, you know, interesting heavy music at the time that I was working there than anybody else because that's. I don't want to say exclusively what you listen to, but I imagine that's a wide, wide, you know, um, amount of what you listen to. So, you know, our conversations were, we booked this one weekend festival, yet we were talking about this one weekend <laughs> festival all year long. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I mean, we were talking about, uh, in 2017, we were probably already talking about what we wanted for 2018 before the, the festival even took the net, the 2017 festival took place, you know, it was just kind of, and it was a really, it was a really fun project to work on. Um, and, and something that, you know, I, I'm, I'm really proud of that, that we were able to bring because how many times do you get to bring a, a festival that exists halfway around the world to the, you know, venue that you work at and that you spend all your time at. So it was, it was a really very, very cool thing to constantly, constantly be talking with you about. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I mean, like I, I was totally like humbled that a, a place like the empty bottle would want anything to do with uh, this thing I did in the other part of the world. <laughs> so like, it was awesome. And I think the, the greatest challenge was really finding the things that are like, I took it as a challenge to say, okay, like I need to put together a night that is going to satisfy as many people that go to the bottle for mm-hmm. shows but at the same time are going to fit within like the um i wouldn't even call them confines it's like <laughs> that room with like the very soft walls like right. you know something like that and well, the bottle's a good place to do that you mm-hmm. know like you were saying it was a space that carried it it was home for a multitude of genres so to bring this idea and concept of yeah it's a heavy night but kind of branch it out and like expand what heaviness is Mm -hmm. i can't think of a more perfect venue to do so yeah Mm. i mean there was there was a lot of stuff i mean we had you know our wish list every year was 50 strong you know and we had to like rank like (laughs) okay well who are we going to work out where are we going to reach out to first Mm -hmm. when when the agent tells us to fuck off who are we going to go to right and then like the conditionals right (laughs) so it's like oh but if the if thens were like yeah i mean spreadsheets spreadsheets that were like color-coded like okay we reached out to them they're orange like oh it turned red because they said no but like you know marissa nadler and that drone drone flower project that uh that she had you know like that that might not have been something that you would have hosted in Sweden, or it might have been. I'm I'm not really sure, but um, you know, being able to to create a, uh, a a festival that has such wide ranging sounds, but fits together kind of perfectly is is really what that was what Scorch Tundra was all about. In the same way, that's that's what a month at the Empty Bottle is all about. You know, mm-hmm. and so many venues around Chicago are able to do that because of the talent of, of the people who are booking them, the booking there, you know, sleeping village, the Lincoln Hall Shubas guys, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all of those places host music almost every night of the, of the week. And they have to have an appreciation for different types of music. And it's not all about just, you know, none of these, these are all independent promoters. These are people who are doing it strictly for the love of it. And they don't have, you know, they aren't necessarily bankrolled by live nation or, or whoever, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're doing it because they have a, a wide interest and they're able to, you know, try to, try to get people out every night. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty, pretty damn cool ecosystem 
mm-hmm. um, that we live in in Chicago. And I, I hope that all of those places are, and the ones that I didn't mention, are able to survive this crazy world we're now existing in. Absolutely. I think the beauty of the bottle, too, is um, its ability to curate uh, the local music scene as well and being so diverse. um, I mean, the bottle is the reason a lot of bands who might not be necessarily huge, but Chicago bands owe a lot of their success to the bottle and just the bottle giving them a chance to uh, perform on a little bit bigger stage and you know, curating this local art scene that not many other venues spread such a breadth of genres yeah. to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of that has to do with kind of the history and just kind of that was that was part of the mission was, you know, from the beginning, giving giving up and coming acts, uh, you know, a, a platform to perform. And I always kind of thought of the bottle as being like a bridge between the DIY, like, weirdo freak art world and i say that with 100 percent loving terms that was it's kind of like a bridge between that and like the real industry the real music industry mm-hmm. uh, even though the bottle's very much a part of the real music industry it's it's an oddball kind of uh you know a couple screws loose type of place so. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean and in like, the best way possible yeah of course and right. I, I mean you as somebody who luca is somebody who's come up through the the DIY scene mm-hmm. and, you know, like you can maybe speak to that and, you, you know, your, your bands who have played, you yeah. know, different, different rooms and, and everything. So, I mean, not, I know there's, this is a bottle love fest right now. It but, really is. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's the best <laughs> club in the country. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really special just in like beyond just how great everyone, the community that revolves around it. Like it's just like a cool place to be a cool place to play at. Just feels good. feels good to be part of the fam. Mm -hmm. It's a nice place. And that's how Luca and I are friends is is just kind of through, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how, 90%, 95% 90%, 95% of my friends in Chicago are <laughs> yeah, exist. I worked like, there for like almost a decade. So yeah, the yeah, bottles like created a lot of really, really important connections in my life. Like, you know, before it stopped recording before Mike and I were talking about how our friendship is because of the bottle. Mm-hmm. But like, even like my, like my fiance, I suppose I feel weird saying that word, but we met there, you know, she was working and I was the bar fly and, Mm-hmm. Look at us now. We're happy, and <laughs> a lot of like great connections are from that place. You know. Uh, yeah. Now you've got yard bar. <laughs> yeah. Now yeah. we got yard bar, baby. <laughs> Which but, nobody's gonna know what we're talking about. <laughs> but like the 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 bottle is like a catalyst for the Chicago music industry and the Chicago restaurant industry too. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much a place where people go to connect and listen to good local music or national music too. Yeah. It's definitely, I would consider the bottle, the heart of the Chicago music scene. Okay. Without a doubt. I think so too. There's just no other venue doing music that frequently Mm -hmm. and to the caliber too. Whether you were running the program or now it's, um, Molly Molly. Molly is doing a a great job and like, Mm-hmm. been working there for a year now and six months of that year has been has had to be just cancellations and rebookings and like i can't imagine you know waking up and having to do that every day that's got to be it's, yeah there's it's an insane yeah like, just the tetris the of... industry to to just it's you know i i empathize uh so much with with what everybody in the industry is just having to do and hope that 
hope that everybody's able to continue to support if they have the means, you know, whether it's donating to the, the funds that help the staff out or whether it's buying artist albums on, you know, Bandcamp or through their website or whatever. I, I mean, it's just, you know, we, we as the people sitting at this table, if we can, <laughs> and people listening, if they can, are the ones who are going to have to really, you know, keep this, this ecosystem afloat and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully Congress too. Neva, look it up. Hopefully. <laughs> Neva. Yeah. Actually well, though. Yeah. 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 We'll definitely, uh, put something into the episode yeah, notes about notes. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've signed many petitions. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how, uh, jumping into something we had talked about before a little bit, um, how was it, was it, it was through the empty bottle that you two had met originally as yeah. well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Luca was the, do you want to talk about what your, your old job was? Yeah. So I, uh, I worked for the Chicago Reader for, I, I still freelance for the Chicago Reader, but on a much smaller scale than I did, I was kind of in charge of coordinating the early warnings page and kind of maintaining like a database of close to every show happening in Chicago every week. Uh, but Mike at the time was in charge of, uh, sending out marketing for the empty bottles. So that's kind of how we connected because he would send me stuff for the early warnings page. And, uh, it was via, I mean, we had known each other cause I was spending a lot of time with the bottle, as I have said, and, uh, playing there a bunch and we knew each other through that, but it was actually through like the more professional route that we became mm -hmm. such good buds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, my first couple of years at the bottle, I was part-time in the office cause I started as an intern there. And so I, I got hired to work door and production. So I did that for a couple of years. And then in the middle of that, I, after a year of interning, I got hired to work part-time in the office, um, doing ticketing, social media, and then eventually became the marketing person. And that's when I was given the responsibility to send the new shows to Luca for this new early warning, this like early warnings newsletter and section of their newspaper that would go out, um, every week. And I was always like the last person that he was always waiting on. And it started, <laughs> it started, I think over email where he was, he would have to reach out to me and be like, hey, it's 2 PM. I need the shows. And I'm like, oh fuck, sorry, man. <laughs> and then eventually I, I don't know why, he had my Gmail account, <laughs> but he eventually started asking me over Gchat. <laughs> and, and so we had known each other from just like, you know, him playing shows, me working shows, all that kind of stuff. And then through the reader, through this early warnings newsletter, which I was consistently slacking on, um, he, we, we got to know each other a little bit better and then just started Gchatting regularly and, uh, building a friendship both in person and, and through work. And, you know, cause the, the Chicago reader, um, is, is the, one of the most, if not the most, you know, important kind of like cultural weekly magazine in, in Chicago. And, um, it's really, really vital if you're the marketing person to make sure your new shows are showing up <laughs> in the newsletter that goes to 20,000 hungry music fans. Uh, and Ticket ready. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, because if you don't get those shows in, they could miss, you know, like it could miss your on sale. It could fuck up your entire marketing thing. So he was very kind and, and, uh, allowed some looseness from my, uh, my professional uh, responsibilities, and we were able to to bond over that. But I, I think I got most of them every week. So you know, <laughs> hats off to me. Seven years ago, <laughs> yeah, there were probably a couple of hiccups somewhere. Well, yeah, the way, I mean, but, it, and then it'd be like, oh, well, you know, just because the industry is so crazy, 
like you'd send out like these, you send this out to your entire press list, right? But I, I said, I had a special email for Luca. Um, <laughs> and then you'll be like, get a last minute email that's like, the, the, the tour announcement got pushed back a day. Like, stop all your, stop all your, stop the presses. Uh, and then you're asking people to like pull stuff. And if it's, if it's already gone to print, then it's just like too late. And you're kind of, you know, everybody's fucked, but you're not really fucked. Nobody's fucked. That's all. It's all, it's all going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, it's just, it, it can be, there's a lot of last minute stuff that comes into, uh, promoting a show and you're kind of always scrambling until the last minute to do everything. Um, but that's small business work. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I know this is also a beer podcast. So I have to say, uh, when we were asked to bring our own beer, I, br- I brought Miller light. Yeah. What yeah, a delicious, yeah. what a fine Pilsner. Yeah. I'm the only one with any Miller. Light. <laughs> <laughs> you got the last one, but I just tried this Pipeworks horchata ale and oh. it is Fucking delicious. Should we all talk about it and drink it? It's so yeah, there's still a bunch left. It's really, really good. I, I'm usually beer that's flavored with like cake Things flavor. Other than Miller. Yeah. <laughs> that freaks me <laughs> out, but this shit is fucking tasty. Yeah, let's try it out. It's got rice, because it's horchata, so I think that adds to the crispness. Yeah. It, yes, indeed. As a uh person who is allergic to dairy. You uh, will not be drinking. I, I that, will Sam. not be partaking. Oh, is there milk in it? Um, Rice, lactose, yeah. vanilla, and cinnamon. <laughs> but but I, I'm gonna take a nice. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll smell Alexi's yeah, glass here before get your I snoot uh, in there. Yeah yeah. yeah. Get, a, get a whiff if, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, get your schnoz in there. Yeah, tell us what the notes are. Well, what would you expect in a horchata? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I I honestly did expect more cinnamon though. Um, on the nose, but it was very very subtle. It was yeah. buried beneath like a creamy. I feel like honey is, is there honey in it? It tastes like there's honey in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, no honey. Oh, well, that, I made that, nice up. Uh, that is a nice fragrant beer. Yeah, yeah, I'd say the adjuncts definitely show in this. Um, this was packaged in, this has been in the fridge for a little bit. Ooh. Oh, so, damn, that uh, is good. But the adjuncts do show, but it does have like a beer flavor to it as well. It doesn't taste like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have the mouthfeel of horchata. Uh-huh. It yeah. still definitely has like a constructed malt profile to yeah. it yeah. Uh, with the it. essences of these other things. I think if we were uh, drinking this like um, closer to the date of package, those other flavors would probably be a little bit more abundant. Um, But at this point, uh, there's much more balance to the beer uh, aromatically and from a flavor standpoint. How long has it been sitting in there? uh, How many years old is this beer? (laughs) It's uh, it's zero zero years. From, uh, I think the package date says uh, May 15th. Approximately a quarter of the year. (laughs) Oh, did you see it on the inside of the can? I don't know where I'm looking, man. (laughs) Oh, on the bottom. Uh, like on the gotcha, side, yeah, yeah. um, <laughs> any event, uh, yes, it does taste good. And, uh, if you have a can of it, you should drink it. And if you <laughs> see it in a store, you should drink it. It is good. Yes. Yeah. Pipeworks horchata ale. Yeah. Mm. I'm used to seeing like vanilla on the bottle or can of like a vanilla porter and that shit kind of, I'm sorry, beer people kind of grosses me out. <laughs> like it's kind of syrupy <laughs> and thick, mm-hmm. but this shit is uh-huh. refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. It is tasty. Um, and speaking of Pipeworks, we've had Pipeworks uh, both on the show and also uh, yeah. Scorched Tundra has mm-hmm. made some beers with Pipeworks mm-hmm. as well. So we're... Uh, was that the year there was the big takeover, the big uh, Pipeworks takeover at the, where it was like almost every tap or something? That was the three-day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was insane, but that was awesome. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was 
2017. Know, 2017, yeah. That was the... Which I think had my favorite performance, which was the Oxbow performance. That was, which was so fucking cool. incredible. The and Oxbow... There were, that, like, there were only like 140 people there, and I was like, where is everyone? They just but they were all know. at I Hate God. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, fucking! I had that? the last laugh on that one. Though. Yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that that performance was so intense and just built and built and built and was really uh, incredible. It was really incredible. And you remember the time before that? Was it Eugene performing on his own? Yeah, at the bottle. Oh man, he was performing from his book, A Long Hard Screw, which is a really <laughs> intense read because I, of course, bought it. Um, and he, yeah, were you at that? Were you at that as well? No, but um, you remember me talking about it? Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. you it was something yeah. else, and there were like twelve people watching, and um, I was just—I think I was maybe even working that night, um, and it was right before a Windy City Soul Club, <laughs> so it was like a seven o'clock reading, and he did like forty minutes, and he just had a guy doing like uh, soundscape kind of noisy guitar stuff, and he was just reading this really intense passage from this book that he wrote. Um, and it was, it was, it was really, you really thought that you were going to get your ass kicked. Uh, and Eugene is an incredibly kind and wonderful person. But afterwards and after he got paid, he's like, do you guys know where I can find the UFC fight? <laughs> <laughs> and so we sent him across the street to lockdown. Oh yeah. Who I think was, yeah. showing, who I think was showing it that night. Mm -hmm. Um, cause he has a, he has, I think he has a, um, not UFC, but I think he has a, a mixed martial arts background as well. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, seeing him do that and then also seeing Oxbow at Scorch Tundra. Um, I don't remember what year that or what number that was, but it was 2017. I was, was that was 7 was 17, fantastic. yeah. Yeah, and very intense. Yeah, I feel like that was uh that was probably the best Tundra performance that um I think of all of them. Yeah. That and Sumac for sure. Yeah. Sumac, Sumac was, was fucking yep. unbelievable. That band, like, yeah. Dude, I mean, I mentioned ISIS earlier, so I've been a big Aaron Turner fan for a long time. But like, Nick is one of the best drummers I have ever un ever seen play. Fucking believable. Yeah, yeah, like I I was lucky enough to see them at Township. That show right blew my yeah. mind. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> I, I have a really I know Nick uh, Nick uh, Delacroix was on the show a couple weeks ago, and I have a really funny story. Like Nick, I love the dude, living legend. But I remember I showed up to that Sumac show in an REM t-shirt. He walked up and he's like, band fucking sucks. I'm like, oh, <laughs> good to see you, Nick. How are you? <laughs> also, no, they don't. <laughs> also, yeah, they're the best. <laughs> it's the end of the... All right. <laughs> Very poignant. Yeah, yeah. That, is, uh, uh -huh. that is one thing that I would have loved to have seen was that... It was two nights of Sumac, yeah. right? Yeah. It was two days. I yeah. don't know how I ended up there, but my God. It was fucking awesome. I didn't Riot Fest like co-sponsor it or in, in some way. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just remember it was around or maybe it was like Riot Fest sponsored. And I was like, okay, checked out the band mm -hmm. immediately was warped in, listened to everything. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to the show. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, go. It was, yeah, it was pretty earth shaking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that sound system in R.I.P. Um, Township, yeah. right. it, it was way beyond the capacity of the venue. 
And so, like, it just shook everything. And I had and, a, and oh, oh. I, well, I was, <laughs> one more note praising Sumac is uh, the when they did play Scorched Tundra, a friend of mine was at the show who I'll leave him nameless, just given the statement that I'm going to quote him for saying. <laughs> but he comes there. He's like, he's like, dude. He's like, I don't know anything about this band. I saw they were a thrill jockey band, so I figured they would fucking suck. I'm like, oh. <laughs> He's like, but holy fuck, this is fucking awesome. I'm like, yeah, cool. Uh, I know who that is. Yeah, you know who it is. <laughs> and he's wrong about Thrill Jockey also. Yeah. <laughs> because they put his band's records out? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I can't believe Brian Chippendale. <laughs> Just kidding. It wasn't him. <laughs> Got to throw people off the scent. Yeah, yeah. Doug, Doug McCombs had so much to say. <laughs> uh, you were going to touch on I mean, another township story, yeah, though. All I was going to all I was going to say was that on top of that, there was no reason for uh, double the capacity to be at those shows, too. <laughs> no, yeah. but it did make for a very fun evening. Yeah, and yeah. Holy shit. Saying it's starting over. Oh. It's starting no, it's a new file. Oh, it's good. Okay. Yeah. Thank God. Oh, Jesus it's Christ. good. Don't you it's worry. It's in your computer? It's it's on there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We just made a discovery. Oh, yeah. So bathroom bricks are good, apparently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm from McHenry. And I'm from Crystal Lake. Na- neighboring towns. They are I'm neighboring towns. <laughs> Not a neighboring town. I'm from, <laughs> I'm from the town of Chicago. <laughs> Um, yeah. So how did you end up in Chicago? Uh, just like, well, my family, like my parents were born here and my dad grew up here. So it was just kind of like we had been coming here growing up for just normal family shit. But like, you know, when I was a teenager, there was the fireside, you know, so mm-hmm. a lot, like all my like subcultural shit was coming from being so close to Chicago and coming here for stuff. Um, so yeah, so I knew early on when I knew I was playing in, playing in bands when I was in high school and I knew I wanted to continuing doing stuff, stuff like that part of the Chicago scene. Yeah. And, uh, also, and like now as an adult, like I've been to a lot of cities in the country and I kind of like Chicago more than all of them. (laughs) It, it does have this charm because I don't know about you. So, um, where we grew up, Milwaukee and Chicago, because of Chicago traffic, Easier it was equidistant mm-hmm. uh, on a time frame basis. So yeah. I, I, I have went a friend to Milwaukee from Johnsburg who he said oh, he yeah. would never go to shows in Chicago. He'd always go to shows always. in Milwaukee. That's how we were yeah. because it was like, well, we won't sit in traffic as much, and typically the shows weren't as crazy. Yeah, so yeah. we could get tickets easier, and mm-hmm. they were actually cheaper than Chicago. I'm too. sure. I'm yeah. Sure. Um, so we would always do that, and when it came time for me to grow up and mm-hmm. move out. I was like, I don't want to live in Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do like Milwaukee. Hey, same I, here. I like, I like Milwaukee as a grown up a lot. Like I could see yeah. myself like slowing down in Milwaukee one day. Isn't that funny though? Like I, I, I feel you on that. Cause I'm like, I don't want to be 21 and living in Milwaukee, but Chicago in 21. Oh man, that's exciting. Yeah. Something. Yeah, it, the, the pace is absolutely different. Mm-hmm. It's, there's more going on. Uh, I have a fr- I have a friend like you know uh, Jim Jim Hollywood oh uh, yes Jim McCann from the tirades he uh, I ran into him last time I was in Milwaukee 
and we were talking. I'm like, how are you doing up here? He's like, he's like, it's nice, good place to raise a family. Kind of gets a little bit like Groundhog Day sometimes. I'm like, okay, all right. Like, you're you're slowed down, but you still got that that wild rocker spirit who feels a little held yeah. down by downtown <laughs> Milwaukee, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, what high school did you go to? McHenry West. Okay, so I don't know why I ask because I know there's West and East, but I, there's there's one. Is there a on, North and South too? Crystal Lake Road is West Campus. <laughs> so you went to that one? Yeah. Okay, what year did you graduate? 2012. Oh, okay, okay. Because uh-huh. my, my first girlfriend ever went there and she graduated a year before me. So, and what year yeah. was that? Uh, she graduated in 2002. So, 10 <laughs> years before you. I graduated in 2003. Uh, that's why I laughed. I was like, ah, yeah. Um, no, it's. But I, I, I spent so much time in Milwaukee. I, so, the Bocce's Pizza isn't there anymore, right? In McHenry? Yeah. No, it, it's, it's now like a payload center or oh, some yeah, shit. Of yeah. course. They used to have <laughs> punk shows there. They did. Yeah. When, yeah. I, was, when I was in high school, we go to punk <clears throat> shows there. Now, well, and the the roller rink too. That just closed down, right? It did. Just for fun. It was there for uh-huh. like a hundred years? Over a hundred years, yeah. I think my first show I ever played was probably at the roller rink. My second show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, do you remember Epic Deli up in Johnsburg? Yeah, that's in McHenry now, right? It's in McHenry okay. now. And so before COVID hit, they started carrying on that Bocce's Punk Show mm-hmm. pizza yeah. And they'll get pretty good shows, right? Like Smoking Popes will play there and shit. Yeah. My yeah. dad my dad is obsessed. So for th- those listening at home, Epic Deli is, it's a, a Johnsburg native, this dude, Tyler Wildly, who he's played in a bunch of bands over the years. Uh, he and his brother opened a sandwich shop. And it is like if someone who has smoked like an entire <laughs> ounce of weed in one sitting started a sandwich shop, it's like here's like an Italian beef with mozzarella sticks and Cheetos on it. Uh, here's my, uh here, here's a here's a sandwich called the apocalypse so you got yeah. bacon pulled pork yeah. ham like yeah. and, like <laughs> but dude like that they're killing it out there and it makes like no, my, they are. my dad like my parents are still in chris like my dad will be like he's like yeah last week and i he rides a motorcycle he's like, i took the bike out for a ride stopped at epic i'm like i'm like this is the perfect market for a place that makes sandwiches <laughs> like this like yeah. dads on their motorcycles Rolling to Epic Deli on a Saturday, eating a sandwich with like a slice of pizza on the sandwich. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember when. What was it? They they wanted to do their own version of like an Italian beef, and so they were like, "Well, it's pretty much already perfect, so we're just gonna put like a pound of Italian beef on it." <laughs> and I was like, "Fuck!" Like, of course that that's the only thing yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there you have it. Northwest suburbs, baby, baby, in the house. <laughs> Mike, how did you end up in Chicago? Uh, I went to college. I'm from Milwaukee, but I went to college in Minnesota at University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. Um, and I got a job right out of school that was working for City Pages in their advertising department in like the account management side of things. Um. City Pages is like the equivalent of the Chicago Reader. And it was, it was, I was supposed to be an intern, but then the first day they offered me a job because some girl quit or was quitting or moving on to something else. And I, so I was an account manager there for a little over a year. I liked it for about three months um, and then just kind of grew. It just was not for me. Um, and I didn't want to sell ad space for a, for a newspaper. Um, but, 
because I was supposed to be an intern, they gave me this program that they were running called their Picked to Click program. And it was, Picked to Click was like the 12 bands from Minneapolis that were, you know, the editorial staff picked as like, these are the best up and coming bands. And there was a monthly showcase that was the Pick to Click showcase. And they gave me to work on that. So I had to like go through this database of like the last five years of these bands and figure out where they were playing and then select one one show where and and use that as like the city pages promotional you know engine for the month for this this concert series and i was like oh this is this is fun promoting concerts i i go to shows three times a week like this is this seems like something i should try to pursue instead as a career um so I, instead of trying to do that in Minneapolis, because, you know, I went to college there, so a lot of friends had moved away, and I was just kind of like itching for something new, I decided to, I decided I was either going to move to New York or LA, or sorry, New York or Chicago, um, and I wound up in Chicago, got a bunch of, inter- I was like applying for jobs after quitting my old job, um, I got a couple of internships at um, in Chicago, I got a dog walking job. I lived with my brother and slept on his couch for two months. And then we got a different apartment together. And one of those internships was at the empty bottle. So I started interning there and, you know, this was back in fall 2009. And so I was spending my days biking around the city, walking people's dogs, and then going to like one of my internships in the afternoon and evening. And then eventually working nights at the empty bottle, you know, one to three times a week. So, um, it just kind of ended up there and, and it really stuck, you know, it was like, like I said, it was either going to be here in New York and, and I'm, I'm thankful that it was, uh, it wound up being Chicago. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell it, yeah. I, you know, what's nuts to me is hearing these stories <clears throat> about punk bands playing in McHenry as someone from oh, Chicago, I think of McHenry as the end of the world. Dude, McHenry well, is but, like Elk Lane Trio. Yeah. Is McHenry and Crystal Lake. Precisely. Uh-huh. I mean, this is total like urban bias, right? Okay. Is that yeah. I, so, so were you saying that you grew up thinking that those dudes were posers? <laughs> One, I assumed Elk Lane Trio was from Chicago. Okay. If that gives okay. you any well, depth of the bias. Uh, uh, no, Matt Skiba went to my high school, albeit yeah. way before I was there. But um, mm. yeah, that band was from there. The punk scene in the suburbs, specifically that far out, is pretty that. Like it it's, was it's robust huge. back then. I don't know if it's less so now, but back then it was popping. I mean, like, I I knew about it when I was in high school and like yeah. middle, like late middle school, and then through high school, I knew about like the Fireside. But I also knew that there were all of these punk bands coming from the Chicago yeah. suburbs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, the fireside, that sounds like a magical place. (laughs) No, I remember shows at the fireside, but I remember just kind of assuming because like, you're like, oh, they all live here probably. Yeah. Yeah. Or that like, uh, yeah, Yeah. even like some urban bias, right? Like it's a small number I can think of now, but like there are some like notable punk bands operating right now who are still based in the suburbs. Like, like the broke downs are still Elgin based and that band has never stopped being no being good there's they are killing it still they're so good yeah. and then like if you want to look at like hardcore punk ugly bones okay they're yeah. they're like from 
all over. They're like an amalgamation of okay. all those suburbs. But like, they're from the northwest. Yeah. Northwest? Okay. Yeah. I thought they were south for some reason. But. No. Yeah. They're they're northwest and like they're fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're continuously just putting out more and more shit that I'm like fuck yeah. yeah. Like, keep doing it. It's much like the broke downs. Yeah. Just been at it forever and like just have always been so good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's awesome mm-hmm. and like even a little. I think it's east of McHenry, the shack in Ingleside. It's like a DIY venue. I've, that, oh, is, that is post my time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't know. I started going there in high school. But, um, yeah, it was it was awesome place. Definitely like one of those few DIY outlets you get in the suburbs. Yeah, but yeah. It was, it was cool. So, yeah, there's there's, there's some There's a spot and, in, a, in Union that my sister is like hip to called nacho treehouse and like yeah. they'll get touring bands and stuff there and i think Ew. it's like a living room like not much bigger than this studio that they like bands play and people come out for so it's still going on in some capacity yeah which is at least as far as i know there's probably more happening i'm i'm old you know <laughs> as we've made clear <laughs> yeah there's not much in union illinois though like not there's the much. train museum. There's the train museum. And then I don't know if it's still there, but Dunley's Wild West. Oh it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was in Union, right? It yeah. was in Union. Oh, that was a that was a popular <laughs> It was Did you ever see that? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, for everyone listening, there's a South Park episode where the kids go to a make believe like uh Wild West territory. I forget what the overarching theme was in this episode, but um they go to this 1800s wild west town and literally this is what that was in in (laughs) union illinois it was like a very popular like field trip destination Uh going up there yeah 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 definitely you could like pan for gold and there's like fool's gold like (laughs) this stream running i think i have a spoon made by a blacksmith there yeah yeah it was cool drink sarsaparilla so yeah. there was like so a living history element to this place yeah yeah, yeah. Those, yeah. Exist, those exist in other states too guys it's not no just, no no union <laughs> illinois is the only place there's definitely something in wisconsin that is the same way where we got to meet a blacksmith and he was you know he acted like he was from the 1800s my, my one like most important memory of donley's wild west town is they had those like nickelodeon machines where you put the nickel in and you turn the crank and like an old old time movie plays yeah, and like th- one of them was like pornographic and we were like in fifth grade on the field trip like oh my god look at this like everyone's like dumping their corners <laughs> like this like grainy black and white footage of like <laughs> some woman taking like her shirt off and like oh like cranking the crank just like look at it made one hundred seventy five dollars in quarters this month <laughs> they knew what they were they were they knew what they were doing at this yeah, point. revenue like, streams okay we got a bunch of fifth graders put the porn back in. <laughs> <laughs> load the image <laughs> I remember I remember so specifically it was called the cherry picker nice it was like a like super green like you couldn't see shit but it was like this naked woman and she was picking cherries off a tree and I remember this kid uh, was looking at it and he's turning the crank he just picks his head up he goes she's picking cherries <laughs> and we're all like let me see get this quarter's oh, worth man this has gone off the rails <laughs> Union, Illinois. <laughs> yeah, baby, gotta go. Hell yeah. Field trip? Yeah, field trip to Union. The four of us? Yeah. Let's do it. Heavy hops goes to Union. <laughs> Yo, but like, actually, we could also go to Harvard. We'll just do all the stops because there's corn. 
Oh, yeah. That corn. Do you know what it's? I can't remember what it's Wait, called. There's a special Harvard strain of corn? Yeah. Oh. This shit's so good. It's I, like sweet corn I've never had before. Uh, huh. I, yeah. I know Harvard Milk Days is a, a thing. That, that's a really popular. Or Richardson's Corn Maze. That's another thing okay. popular this time of year. World's biggest, by the way. World's biggest really? corn maze. Yeah. I, like I said, I was at my parents' down, house this man. weekend. I'm Let's so do down. it. We should do a, a live, a live, <laughs> live from, from the corn live field. from the corn maze. All four of us live, just getting <laughs> lost. <laughs> oh no! I got so lost one year. It was um, it was like the 50th anniversary of the uh, moon landing, <laughs> and um, all your clues to get through the maze were based off of the moon landing. Moon landing, and um, I don't know how I got so awry. And um, I was in the middle of this maze and it was like eight o'clock and it was dark and I knew I had to be out in an hour and I had already been in 45 minutes. I was like, I'm not getting out. (laughs) And I don't know if it was like a special day, but they started doing fireworks from like the main entrance. And I was like, that's the way need to go that way. Like, and I just started beelining it that way. (laughs) The like the fire the small town fireworks were your north star. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, led you out of there. Yeah. <laughs> so we have our next episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's the follow up. Here it is. Absolutely. All right, I'm gonna try to do a correlation here. Right. So <laughs> pull us out of the corner. It, it may be impossible. <laughs> pull you from the corner. So we're talking about DIY venues and very small venues. As a booker at the Empty Bottle in the past, were you paying attention to places like the smaller venues out in the Burbs or the DIY circuits in general? Um, definitely not the Burbs. I, I will be honest. It was the, the, a lot of the stuff that you guys are talking about were not on my radar. Um, but for sure, paying attention to Chicago's local DIY scene. Um, and... I mean, it's, I I can't remember if I said this or not, but the the empty bottle kind of being like a bridge between, you know, like DIY and, and the real world music, music industry. Um, It was very important for, and remains very important for that venue and for, you know, any small venue in, in any city that has a DIY scene to stay connected to that, I feel. Um, because I think there's a lot of really unique and forward thinking art that comes out of those scenes because it's, it's so supportive of everybody that comes from that is so supportive of one another and they're not doing it for any reason other than to express some kind of creativity that lives within them. So it's not like they're trying to find they're trying to like craft the 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 radio sound you know or or, Mm -hmm. or whatever sound is is going to be make them big and popular and famous it's distinctly for expression and i think that as a as a programming person as a booker as um, a curator of any form of art um paying attention to those scenes and and not necessarily plucking from them but at least just kind of like keeping your eye on on what's going on um you know and occasionally going to those shows i I was going you know obviously when i was in my 20s more so than my 30s but um was was definitely vital to to understanding not only what was happening um 
within those spaces, but to kind of get an understanding of where things were maybe moving. Mm -hmm. I think those like uh, th those venues, like you said, they gave such room and everyone could just be themselves. There was, like you said, no need to try and be bigger than what they were. Mm -hmm. And I think one of my favorite examples is um, I went to the observatory up mm -hmm. in um, oh, yeah. Lincoln Park and um, my buddy was playing, but the headlining band, they were called like the off days or something like that. And uh, like right away, I was like, is this a Beatles cover band <laughs> at a DIY venue? But then like they kept playing and I was immediately like, no, they're not playing Beatles tunes, but this band could very well be the Beatles mm -hmm. because they just sound so similar, but yet their song structures were very different at mm -hmm. the same time. And I was just blown away because I was like, I'm at this DIY venue, yet there's this band that literally sounds like the Beatles. Yeah. Like that was a very cool thing because they weren't trying to be anything big. They were just right. like, we love this music style and we're going to try and do it in our own cool way. Yeah. And I think they did actually play the bottle a few times. Yeah. And... It's, it's, you know, it's a place it's, they, those are places for, for bands to develop their sound and, you know, and play like I said, to um, really supportive audiences and friends, and um, maybe the pressure is a little bit lower, and you know, it's just um, it's it's a place for for people to kind of hone their craft in, um, and and that honing your craft also comes from playing small venues as well. Mm -hmm. But um, it's there's a lot of it's it's a vital aspect to any like you know positive and and strong music community. So definitely, I definitely had kind of my, and we, and the, the people who booked before me and Molly now, you know, I, I, I feel like everybody um, at those venues, everybody working at those venues kind of knows what's going on and, and people would, you know, who I worked with would, would turn me on to new stuff. And it, it's, you know, it was a very collaborative, very collaborative process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, listening to you, uh, to both uh, you, Sam and Luca talking about these kind of venues out in the suburbs makes me think a little back to um, my like lineal time as a musician when I was younger. And um, the fact that there weren't a whole lot of spaces if you were underage in Chicago to actually play music mm -hmm. like, yeah. Um, there were talent shows that we did and like basements that we played, but um, I don't really think that there was the same kind of uh, support for youngsters. I mean, this was even before there was like School of Rock or any of this like semi infrastructure for anything. Like mm -hmm. we in Chicago, people had entertainment coming to them. And so there was no need to show things otherwise. Right. Um, Mind you, this was with a level of ignorance towards like DIY venues and stuff like that. But even still, like there's no 15 year olds playing in those places, too. No, no. Whereas like in the burbs, I think that what I've kind of learned is that um, there's actually a lot of support for that, whether it's like school related things or also like these uh, like pseudo venues in ways. Yeah, I mean, our school definitely gave my band a platform. And then we just, I, it sucks because all we wanted to do was play Chicago when we were in high school, but there was no real avenue for us to do that, like you were saying. And like, 
I mean, we ended up playing shows in the suburbs. Yeah, I believe it because we would like we knew about DIY venues, quote unquote, in the burbs. But when it came to Chicago, we were like, where do we play? We're 18. I think a really important thing to bring up as far as that goes is like the fireside was in like Brian who booked it like was a person who like was very open to having bands from the suburbs just all of a sudden, like if they seemed interesting enough to him play like a really good show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like that's really hard to come by now. Like the fire said was all ages. So it was a little bit easier, but I remember like the first show I ever played in Chicago was my old man. When I was like 17, we played a show, uh, Saturday night sold out fireside show opening for MU three thirty, which like, at the, <laughs> which is kind of funny to say now, but like yeah. at the time it was like mind blowing big deal to us. How old were you? Seven. I was 17. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel like like any band, touring band that's notable, like any kids from the suburbs nowadays aren't going to like just pop on that show. And I think no. that was a really magical thing about a place like the Fireside and the way Brian booked it, that like you could have things like that happen. And I think that like there's so like the industry is so different now, like there's so much book, like so much relying on like a booking agent and like your press presence that like kind of that it's hard to have that happen which is too bad because that, that was like a really important moment in my life, you know? Yeah. Um, I just think too, like from, and this is actually closer to like when you were around in high school. Do you remember the band Thyatera? I do not. Uh, they were like a thrash band. They might've been like shortly after you graduated. Okay. Um, but I just remember as a kid, just slightly dabbling into heavier music. That was like the local band and they yeah. were super progressive thrash. And, um, they got an opportunity to play at the house of blues, but it was 17 and up. And I was like, well, here's this band from my hometown. Mm-hmm. Well, crystal Lake yeah. that I want to go support, but I can't even get it. Cause you weren't 17. Cause I'm not 17. Oh, and right. it's like, man, yeah. like think about how many avenues closed down for them, for people who would yeah, come. Yeah, for sure. So Weird. that was, that was rough. And, and DIY venues and, and that entire scene is so much in response to more traditional spaces and yeah, the restrictions, mm-hmm. and not only, barriers. not only the, yeah. the restrictions from age perspectives or anything, but potentially even creative, uh, you know, perspectives where it's just like, well, I have this, weird group of like kids that I'm in this band in and no one else will book me. But like my friends who have this space will let us play. And mm-hmm. you know, like then from there, like I, like I mentioned before, like crack, they, they can start to craft something and, and, you know, come up with, uh, you know, really just kind of find them, find their foot, their footing and, and everything. So it's just, um, as it's so much of it is, is in response to almost countercultural to the counterculture of the uh, <laughs> the counterculture of the counterculture yeah, of the, of <laughs> well, the we're small ta- independent music <laughs> venue. Yeah, well, we're almost talking about like counterculture with like a capital C versus yeah, like a lowercase. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um, I think it's all this is funny and like one of the reasons why I ended up writing about music in the first place was because. I realized I sucked at playing music. That was like a given. I figured that out pretty quickly, but I wrote it out because my friends were doing it. And then I was like, oh, there are shows that are 18 and over or 17 and over. Uh, Oh, I don't have the age credential. 
But what if I'm going to take a photo or whatever? Oh yeah, come in. Oh, we don't check IDs. Like <laughs> so, yeah. It's just uh-huh. you find a way to get around it in some way. But um, yeah, no, that was the thing with being in a band too. It's like it was your pass in mm-hmm. to a seventeen, mm-hmm. eighteen show. If you were, you just got, you know, you got the X's, got the X's on your hand yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that to me was like the holy grail because i was like oh well now i can now i can go to any show like i'm not gonna drink because i'm not gonna blow this like this is (laughs) awesome like i can see what i want to now and so that yeah it's it's about finding those avenues that get you into what you're really looking for and i think that whether that's the diy scene or you know small clubs like those venues which are in super danger right now of closing because they have no money coming in that is the beauty of them. They support this ecosystem that uh, is super fragile. And if you don't have this lower level, you don't get the Slipknots, you don't get the Behemoths, you don't get the Lamb of Gods because there's nowhere for them to really mm-hmm. play. So without them, you're just going to see this total collapse. And I don't think there's really room in our current economy to see a new breath of venues open up after these ones close. I just don't think it's there. Mm-hmm. Worth noting that the first time I ever went to the empty bottle, I had a fake ID. Yep. <laughs> Not me. And I went to go see a metal show. Worth also noting. What was it? Uh, Pelican. I know that band. Yeah. Hey, I've, I've heard of that band. Yeah. I think I know that band. Yeah. <laughs> I think I share a practice space with them. I think they've, I think them. they've played uh, Scorched Tundra. They have. Yeah. In Sweden, yeah. yeah. Couldn't quite get them in Chicago. <laughs> I don't think we tried, actually. Yeah, I'm not really sure. No. Um, well, we had him. We had him do two nights for the 25th anniversary, yeah. and so it, I don't think it really made sense when we, you and I were collaborating on that. Right. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that the um, the first like proper show that I got into at an age where I had no business being there legally um, was Entombed and Crowbar at Joe's on Weed Street. Whoa weird Whoa. yeah <laughs> i don't know who um there was like a rogue promote this was like 2002 or 2003 mm-hmm. uh but there was uh some promoter in chicago that was like doing shows at joe's on weed street um and i got in because uh i was interviewing kirk from crowbar and alex when he was uh, still in entombed and i found myself in this venue like I was done with the interviews and uh, it was half an hour till doors. And I was like, eh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for me to leave at this point nope. now. <laughs> so there I am. And I didn't have X's or anything. So I, it was 21 so hours. So what did you drink? Uh-huh. So what beer did you drink? Miller Lite. Nice. There we go. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Miller's back in the oh, podcast. There we go, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Escape it. Hey. So yeah. that's my Miller Lite story. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. That's all I got on Miller Lite, though. That's nah, good, and it, it can this, start and stop uh, this there. Pump, this pumpkin ale is very, very delicious. It though. is, this yeah. This dogfish. For those dogfish of you who listen to us weekly, this is the same pumpkin ale yeah. that we tasted last week. Yeah, this right. is the rest of the six pack. So thank you, Chris Quinn, Don't for you bringing six. That. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, what do you guys think of it? Uh, listeners will know our take from last time, but oh, let's get some fresh perspective on this guy. I'm a big fan yeah. of pumpkin ales or pumpkin ales. 
Do you uh, know what the pumpkin? Is... Do you know what the pumpkin? The wasn't it? Uh, they they trebuchet like fucking pumpkins across the state of Delaware or something like that. I don't know about the geography of the entire state, but there is a competition where you can bring your own catapulting devices, and they would shoot <laughs> pumpkins. Nice. Uh, very long very distances, long distance. yeah. and then use those to make the beer, or just you're also. <laughs> uh, no, the 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 name of the beer comes from the name of that event. Oh, yeah. so you're launching oh, the beer gotcha. event, so launching the, the pumpkin event is called the pumpkin event. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, yeah, but it, no, it's not as though someone from the brewery is like chasing the pumpkins down and then they grab them and <laughs> okay. then put them in the beer. <laughs> All right, what's going on? You go grab it. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great it's, hazing it's really for good. someone it's, new at the brewery. It's not. It's not super intense on the pump on the pumpkin side. Of yeah. Things. Sometimes that's what pump- I really like because like as much as I like pumpkin ales, uh, it, it can be a little sweet and uh, a little bit too much too much pumpkin on the front end. Yeah. Sometimes it it's like drinking like liquefied like pumpkin pie. Yeah. This is <laughs> yeah. This is more this crisp. Tastes, this is tastes like beer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that. Um, that's interesting because that's a similar perspective that we arrived on from the last beer, right? Mm-hmm. Was that mm-hmm. it still has some like aspects of beer as far as like having being able to taste malt on it and not having too much sweetness, yeah. having yeah. some balance. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Good job, Dogfish Head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Killed it, it on the pumpkin ale. Yeah. Once again. <laughs> Once again. Yeah. Year after year. <laughs> week after week. It's probably, oh, the Strong Boy, 7%. Yeah. It's about. Yeah, Probably more than double of what I'm used to with those those Miller lights. <laughs> <laughs> crisp and refreshing. I would agree with that. It is crisp and refreshing. Well, what do you say? <laughs> I don't know. I, say so. <laughs> I feel like we've covered a good amount of ground here. I feel bad for everyone listening because there's an hour worth of material that it is lost to the void. Yeah. But, but uh, we can bring it back when we do the uh, the corn. The yeah, corn maze show. The, when we the go to the corn, corn, corn team show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I told my my Miller Lite Instagram account story, so that can be a, a little little tidbit for next time. <laughs> we'll pack yeah. a knapsack full of uh, Miller Lights. <laughs> yeah. Nothing is permanent, no matter how hard you uh, try. To make it. Yeah, that's what we learned from this experience. Uh-huh. I think yep. so. Well, we'll do something we don't do that uh, that often, and uh, we'll give some allow the guests to have the final word tonight. Oh man! Just in general, or with a theme like this is that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, take, yeah. take it for what you'd like. The reins are yours. This is just as new of an idea to us as it is to you. So go for it. All right, I have two statements. One is Ganema by Annihilus out on American Decline Records tomorrow. Buy it. You'll enjoy it. My number two statement, vote. I like that. Yeah, I, I second that. Thank you guys for having us on here. Yes, and thank you guys. This, this has is, been a very uh, good time. This was really good, and, and I'm, I'm happy that you guys are doing this podcast. So thank you, and uh, yes, please, please, for the love of God, vote. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for joining mm-hmm. us, guys. I will uh, third vote. 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 Yes, votes never mattered more. And uh, if you're not ready to vote after our next episode, you'll definitely be ready to vote. You will be ready to vote. (laughs) Please get ready. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you all next week. Bye-bye.